through the other uh, Johns this month. Um, today, we're not going to jump in. Last week, we kind of did chapters 1 and 2, and that leaves 3 through 5. We're not going to jump into 3 through 5. Instead, what I want to do is I want to trace an idea that's very important to John through uh, that letter. So it's the, the idea of abiding in Christ. And so we're going to see what that means. It's Labor Day weekend uh, here in the United States, and, uh, and many of us will be able to take the day off tomorrow. For those of you who can't, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, but for those who can, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's a day that we celebrate those who work and who labor, uh, the workforce of, of our country, and it goes back some time. Uh, and we often celebrate work, uh, maybe too much at times. You know, there's an interesting dynamic if you go back to the beginning uh, in, the, in the garden, when God is present with humanity, they dwell with one another. They live with one another. There is this, this condition of, of always having access to the Father, and the Father always having access to his, his creations, his sons and daughters, Adam and Eve. And, and there's this relationship of, of being uh, cohabitants of the garden together. And that when they sin and take the temptation and eat the fruit of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat, one of the consequences of that eating and of that rebellion against God was that they would have to toil and labor for their food from then on. And that they would become uh, part of a, a system where, where food was not just easily provided anymore and access to God was restricted by our rebellion and our sin. And we no longer dwelled with God in a peaceful and restful place. For John, he talks so often about dwelling or abiding in Christ and with Christ. And, and there's this echo of, hey, remember when we could live with God all the time. Hey, remember when we didn't have to toil and work all the time. And we live in a culture today that celebrates busyness, that celebrates working hard. Uh, there used to be a time when people thought that if you had lots of free time, you were an important person. In our world today, it's become the opposite. It's turned on its head. We understand the most important people to be very, very busy all the time. And so it's become a mark of honor to say, hey, I'm pretty busy this week. Hey, I've got so much going on. I don't even know how I'm going to fit in time with you. And we get to where we even communicate that to God. God, I'm so busy doing important things. I don't know when I'm going to have time to spend with you. And so we often in Christianity, we talk about the importance of obeying, we talk about the importance of believing, we talk about the importance of loving, but we rarely talk about how important it is to abide with God, to dwell in Christ's presence. And yet for scriptures, it comes up all the time, especially in John's writings. The word abide uh, and if you're in one of the newer translations, they've taken the word abide out, and they've instead put in the word remain. Uh, and, and for me, the word loses something when you switch to remain. Uh, when you talk about dwelling with or abiding with someone, there's this really heavy sense of permanence, of, of choosing to be with one another, of being, I mean, there's something about being a roommate that's gr greater than being a friend. Uh, remaining to me feels more like, yeah, I'm still stuck here, or, or I, I'm still here, uh, but, it, but it has a temporal feel. Um, 
you know, someone asked me, are you still a Dallas Cowboys fan? I've been a Dallas Cowboys fan my whole life. I remain a Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, but I, I don't really dwell with them. And I don't spend as many Sunday afternoons with them as I used to back when I believed in them and they believed in themselves and good things happened and God watched through the window in the, the, the roof. I don't know if God's still watching, but if he does, he still remains a Cowboys fan, but he's not really dwelling with them. I can tell you that. There is this kind of difference of weight and meaning and commitment in those words for me. And so uh, that, the idea of abiding and dwelling, while it's been taken out, uh, today I'm going to be using the NRSV translation because it still uses that. And I want to hold that, that word, even though in English the word abide doesn't really mean to dwell anymore. That definition's been removed from our English dictionaries. And so they've changed the translations. But I think I, I, I'm going to try to add that weight as we consider what it means to be dwelling in Christ. Uh, in Spanish, it's the word uh, permanecer. Permanecer en mí y yo en vosotros. So I dwell, I, God dwells, let's see. The instruction is dwell in me and I will dwell in you. Permanecer, to remain permanently with or in. Uh, and it has that weight that remain for me just doesn't. And so I think we can read remain without even thinking about it, where dwell really challenges us to sit. It challenges us to rest. It challenges us to stay for a while, a permanent way, in God's presence and with Jesus Christ. And when we think about the ways that we do this, uh, we're going to kind of think about what it means to, to really do this, to dwell in Christ. Uh, that word, abide, the Greek word is minon, that word is in the New Testament 26 times. All 26 of them are by John. No one else in the New Testament uses the word. So for John, this is a huge idea uh, that he is, is focused on. And of the 26 times, 16 of them are in 1 John, which compared to his larger work of, of John and possibly Revelation is, is a much smaller work, and yet it has almost all of his uses of this word to dwell with Christ. It's a key concept that runs through it. And you're going to see all the different ways where he, he expects us as followers of Jesus Christ to have a dwelling with God and with Christ, with the Spirit and with one another. And that it should change not just who we're with. It should change how we obey. It should change how we believe. It should change how we produce fruit. It should change everything about our life comes from this energy source of us going into Jesus Christ's presence and leaving changed and doing things differently. And, and it goes back, his, his other passage that uses this uh, in a significant way is John chapter 15. So we're going to start there uh, in John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. And here's what Jesus says. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I said I was going to use my translation. I pulled the wrong one up. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Permanecer in mi, yo en vosotros. 
just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Those who abide in me and I bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be complete in, may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. He starts off and he says, listen, here's the thing. If you are a branch that is not producing fruit, you will be cut away and thrown away for the fire. There is an expectation that as Christians, that if we are branches that are attached to the vine, that we produce fruit, that we not be empty, that we not just show up, that we not just grow. Those things aren't enough in this teaching. Jesus expects that every branch will bear fruit. And then he says, abide in Christ as, as he abides in us. And there's this invitation and command to dwell with one another, to dwell with Christ. Because apart from Christ, we will produce no fruit. Now, this is incredibly important. If you are someone who spends all your time trying to get people to become Christians and do evangelism, and you aren't spending time dwelling with Jesus Christ, your evangelism will not succeed. If you are someone who spends all of your time serving and loving others, but you're not, before you go to serve and love them, spending time dwelling with Jesus Christ, then your love and your service will not produce the fruit that God desires. There are so many times that we want to go do the fruit stuff without doing the abiding stuff. The time with Jesus. The time letting Him pour into us and to us receiving from His presence. The teaching goes on that, that branches that don't dwell with Christ are thrown away and withered. Well, is, which is more important, abiding or fruitfulness? Well, if you try to do fruitfulness without abiding, you'll get no fruit. But if you try uh, to do nothing and if you don't abide with Jesus, then you're going to be thrown out. This is how important it is that we not just believe and obey and love, but that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is rooted in us being present to him and allowing his presence to be transforming to us. We need to dwell with Jesus. It suggests that prayers are answered to those who abide with Christ and who let his words live in them. He says, listen, if you do all this and you're obedient, then you will abide and dwell in my love. Isn't that an incredible invitation? That if you're the kind of person that lets the, the words and commands of Jesus take root in your heart and in your life, and if you live them out, Jesus says, listen, you will live in my love. You will live in, in kind of the light of my affection. 
He says, if you keep my commands, you'll dwell in my love just as Christ has with the Father. And if you think about the incredible nature of that relationship that Jesus is constantly going and, and having such incredible time abiding in God's presence, of spending time in prayer on the mountainside and withdrawing from people to be present just to God. And he says, listen, this relationship that I have with God is so good. It's so good. And if you'll just obey the commands, he's going to get more into this in 1 John. If you'll just obey these commands, you can have with me what I have with the Father. What a gift. What a gift. And yet so often we are so busy that we struggle to find the time to go permanecer, to abide with Jesus Christ. These are the habits of abiding in Jesus. We practically can dwell with him when we spend time in prayer. And by prayer, I don't mean, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, this meal, the hands that prepared it. Help us to uh, be healthy until we meet again. That is a prayer, and that is a good prayer. Pray that prayer until you learn how to pray more prayers. How you learn how to, to engage in prayer and fasting. Until you learn how to spend time with God in silence. Until you learn how to pray uh, God's glory and pray thanksgivings and pray earnestly on behalf of others. And all of these different prayers where you're asking God not just to go through your wish list of things. But in prayer you're able to go to God and build a relationship with Him. And there's no shortcut to those kinds of relationships. There's no shortcut to best friends. There's no shortcut to being, ha having a good marriage. You put in the work. You put in the time. You build the relationships. There's no shortcut to dwelling in Christ. You've got to put in the time in prayer. And you put in the time by reading God's Word. And you get in and you read it. And you're not just reading it for the instructions. And you're not just reading it for the answers. And you're not just reading it for the head stuff. But as you turn every page, what you start to realize is that you grow to have a better understanding of who God is in the pages and words of this book. And you don't only start to understand who God is, you start to understand who you are in relation to this story of who God is. And you, find, you start to find your part in the story and your part in the world. And those things are revealed in the pages of this book if we will dwell with the book, dwell with the Word of God. The other piece of dwelling with God that's going to come up over and over again when we start getting into the passages in 1 John is that we need to obey God's commands. Once you do understand who God is and your role in it, there are commands that are given to you that tell you how to live as someone who's in God's story. And it's different than the way that the world lives and the way the world thinks and the way the world does things. And if we're going to be people that dwell in Christ, the teaching that comes up over and over again for John is, yeah, you're going to have to follow his rules. You're going to have to follow his commands. And we tend to think of all the rules as like, don't go out and sin and have fun on Friday night. But so many of the commands and instructions are love your enemies, forgive radically, love people that don't love you first, forgive those that may not deserve it. Go into all the world and share the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. These commands are the things that, that, that John is saying, listen, if you want to dwell with Jesus, 
follow all the commands, the thou shalt nots, but also the thou shalls, the commissioning stuff, the sending stuff. We obey his commands. And then the other thing that's going to come across over and over again is that if you want to dwell with Jesus, you have to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't claim to love the Father while kicking the children. And, and by the way, that's not some profound biblical teaching. Uh, go to the park this week. If you want to do an experiment on this, I don't recommend, but if you just want to try it out, go to the park, meet a, another like-minded adult, and get to know them. And then when their kid walks up, hit them. And just see if your friendship with this adult can withstand that, uh, that, that action. And if they're like, boy, I, I've been wanting to do that all day, thank you, then you shouldn't be friends with that person, okay? <laughs> but if what happens is they say, I can't believe you would treat my child that way. We all get that this is an appalling experiment that I'm suggesting, right? And yet over and over again, we see brothers and sisters in Christ who metaphorically slap each other in the face, go to prayer and say, God, I love you. And he says, do you? Because I saw what you did in the park to my kid. I saw what you did in the park to my daughter, to my son. You can't claim to be my friend and treat my children that way. And so for John, there's this repetitive teaching. And this is going to get a little repetitive because John does it first. And so if I'm going to teach it, you're going to get it second. There's this repetitive teaching that obedience and loving your brothers and sisters in Christ are completely intertwined and that they are connected. And they're connected because God's the Father. So you obey the Father and you love the siblings. And it's all part of this same command. And it's going to echo all through 1 John. So now let's go over to 1 John. And I want to take you through the 16 times that John teaches us about abiding in 1 John. It starts in 1 John chapter 2. Whoever obeys his word, truly in this person the love of God has reached perfection. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk in the same way as he walked. So the idea is this. You can't spend time praying to Jesus reading scripture, obeying the commands, loving your brothers and sisters, the, the practices of the spiritual discipline of abiding, you can't do those things and say that God dwells with you or that you dwell with God if you then go out and don't live like Jesus lived. If you are someone who dwells with Christ, then what happens is that you ought to walk the same way he walked. There's been studies over the years that show uh, that, that people's actual gait, the way that they walk, as they're married for longer and longer, starts to slowly match each other's gait more. When you walk with someone for years, you start to walk like them. There are studies that study micro-expressions on people, the little mannerisms of your, your face. And what happens is that couples that have been married for a long time start to have similar uh, mannerisms to one another. The quirk of an eye or the tilt of a lip, uh, the roll of an eye, as some marriages might go, start to look similar to one another over the years. 
And so why should we not expect that if we really walk alongside Jesus in our lives, that our footsteps and our facial expressions and our thoughts and words wouldn't start to look and sound more like his? And if you're living a life that is just out of step with Jesus, what John says is it's because you're not spending enough time with him. You're not dwelling with him. You may still remain a fan, but you're not abiding with Christ. He goes on a couple verses later and he says, Whoever says, I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister abides in the light. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. Permana said in la luz, they abide in the light. How do you know? Because they love one another. Whoever hates a brother or sister is in the darkness. They walk in the darkness. They do not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. Um, it's not fun walking in the dark. It's dangerous walking in the dark. Uh, I've got two miniature golden doodles. Uh, they are very good at not chewing uh, up our shoes, but they collect them. And so what that means is at night when, when I go to bed, I get in bed and my floor is clean. This is something I've learned how to do as a grown person. I was bad at it as a child, but I've got where I clean my floor. However, during the night, any shoes that are left within dog's reach anywhere in the house slowly start accumulating around our bed. Uh, so by the time I get up in the middle of the night to go, go do something, I can't see because I am in blindness in the dark, and there is now a minefield of who knows whose footwear scattered around my room waiting to trip me up and make me fall uh, during the night. It's not fun walking in darkness. There's more graphic horror stories that parents tell about action figures and Legos that I won't even scar you with <laughs> that make you go bump in the night. The teaching here is, is very visceral and you can feel it. There is safety and comfort in the light and there is danger in the dark. And if you're choosing to be someone who embraces, uh, not embraces, who refuses to give forgiveness, who refuses to love your brother and sister in Christ, you're walking around in the minefield of shoes that Satan's putting all over your bedroom floor in the middle of the night. So don't don't do that. Don't do that. Truly become someone that lives in the light by loving your brother and your sister. Three verses later, he writes, he says, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young people, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Listen to this. When the word of God dwells in us, you become strong and can overcome the evil one. We don't think that way. We think it, that when we read God's word, we get smarter. When we read God's word, we get more knowledge. When we read God's word, we know the rule book more. But what, what John says is, listen, don't you know, if you really let the word of God dwell within you, and I just get the image of it being in your heart more than in your brain, it's not a thing you've studied and learned. It's a thing that has taken root in your very being. The Word of God is dwelling in you. When that happens, what is the result? You can become strong and overcome the evil one. 
And so here's the thing. If you feel like Satan's coming at you all the time and you don't have the tools to deal with it, you need to be abiding in God's word so that it can take residence in you in a way that gives you the strength to deal with them. Because God's word is not just about knowing things. It changes our strength and our ability to overcome. Two verses later. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride in riches comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desire are passing away. But those who do the will of God abide forever. When we orient our life where we're giving in to the desires of the world, we are pursuing temporary things. When we orient ourselves around the Word of God and the things of God, what happens is that we begin to orient ourselves around eternal things. And one of the universal laws of how God created us is that you become like what you worship. And so if you choose to live your life pursuing and worshiping the desires of the temporary world that we live in, you will become a temporary life. But if you worship that which is eternal, that which is forever, that which is always, that which is Alpha and Omega, worship God and His Son, Jesus Christ, the Spirit that lives in us, you will become an eternal being that abides in God for all of eternity. And so listen, when the world throws something tempting at you, the the desires of the eyes or the lust or the pursuit of money, uh, you need to just ask yourself, will those things burn someday? If the answer is yes, you need to choose if you want to worship the things that burn or worship the things that don't. And then decide which team you want to be on. And then you dwell with the eternal so you can become like the eternal and dwell with God forever. A few verses later, he keeps writing. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. Now what you heard from the beginning, let it abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. That gospel message that you first heard that helped you to understand the good news, that God's design was perfect, and that it was flawless, and then because of sin, it became broken. And every single one of us lives in brokenness. And we try and find our own ways out, whether it's money, or relationships, or drugs, or alcohol, or or just distraction. None of those things can get us out of brokenness, and as 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 long as we try, we keep snapping back. Until we remember and realize that what we need is to repent and make Jesus king of our life. Because Jesus came down and was crucified and resurrected and on the third day rose and became king of kings. And if we claim him as king of kings through baptism and through repentance, then God restores us to a place of wholeness and of his good and perfect design. Now listen, if you remember that story that took root in you in the beginning of your faith, that's the the foundation for all of us claiming that Jesus is Lord of our life, then that allows you to dwell in Christ forever. If you deny that story, you deny God. If you deny that, you deny Jesus. But if you 
allow it to remain in you and to dwell in you, to take permanent residence in you, then what you heard from the beginning will allow you to continue dwelling in the presence of the Father and the Son. John over and over again loves these images of the ongoing permanent remaining with God and the Son and the teaching and the love and all of this. We've got a few more. As for you, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you so that you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him, dwell in him, permanecer in him. There's different ways to think about anointing. In the New Testament, there's two main anointings. One of them is a physical anointing with oil. It was meant to give honor. It was meant to, uh, to anoint and proclaim gifts over someone or to anoint them when they were sick and you were praying over them. And the other one is a spiritual anointing. It's one that's done not by oil, but by the Spirit of God. And, and I think this one is talking about that kind of anointing. The spiritual type that, that is increasing the confidence and faith of the one who receives it. It's increasing our knowledge of the gospel and our confidence that it is true. And when we allow that spiritual anointing that confirms the truth in us, it allows us to continue growing in our faith. Going down a little farther, you know that he was revealed to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or know him. Now, does this mean that if you dwell in Christ that you're perfect and you'll never make any mistakes? We all know that that's not true and that's not what John's teaching. But here's the thing. There's really two ways to drive your car. One way is to drive your car towards righteousness and God's commands and occasionally make detours and have to reorient yourself back where you need to be. All the time, I miss the exit on my GPS. And Google says, you missed it. Go back, turn around, get back on I-40, try again. Okay, I'm still going towards the same destination of goodness and righteousness. And if you dwell in Christ, you've got your destination in mind even when you go off course. But there's others of us who have the destination in mind of rebelling against God's commands. And that's the destination. And sometimes we get off course and like remember to go to church and, and remember to pray. But generally speaking, we're in pursuit of rebelling against God. And what John is saying is if you abide in Christ, you're the kind of person that has God's destination in mind. A few verses later, everyone who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of God do not sin because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin because they have been born of God. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love a brother or sister. If Paul was in the room, he would be like, hey, hold on, we need to have about a four-chapter conversation about grace and how I do what I don't want to do and don't want to do what I don't want to do, but Paul's not in the room when John's writing this. And so John's like, let me just tell you the way I see it. And it has to do with doing the right thing. People who are in Christ do the right thing. People who aren't are in the devil, and God wants to destroy the things of the devil. It's why Jesus came down here. 
And so we need Paul's grace and mercy teachings in Romans to kind of nuance this and remind us that God's doing this in other ways. But for John, he's saying, stop sinning like it doesn't matter. If God's seed abides in you, you should be a changed person in your behavior, your ethics, your values, your morals, and the way you love people. Change. Be better because Christ was better. It keeps going. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We need to hear that. We're very, very surprised all the time that the world doesn't like Christians as much as it used to. Uh, All of the gospel writers and Jesus are saying, pay attention. If you're living this countercultural way of of faithfulness, the world's not going to like it. Don't be surprised by that. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. Have I mentioned before that if you want to abide in Christ and have Christ abide in you, you should love your brothers and sisters? Has John mentioned this before? Are you beginning to catch on that John wants you to catch this and live this? Well, what's the standard, John? How much should we love then our brothers and sisters? Because it's not always easy. He says, here's the standard. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Do you have extra and your brother or sister has a lack? Jesus died on the cross to save you while you were still his enemy. What ought you do if you have extra and your brother or sister has a lack? I guess just hold what you have against what Jesus gave and see if there's a gap. And if there is, close it. That's a tough teaching. It's a tough teaching. But John believes that dwelling in Christ should challenge us and change us to do tough things. This is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded it. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. We should obey the commands, especially to love each other. And when we do so, we know the Spirit dwells in us. We've got two more. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We get it, John. We've got to love each other. We get it. And if we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world, God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. And at this point, I've said the word abide so many times, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right, and I'm sure it sounds weird to your ears. But it's because John thinks it's one of the most important things, and he won't quit talking about it. 
and he won't quit teaching about it, and he won't quit writing about it, because he believes that there are blessings of abiding. And if you're like, well, what are practical ways that I can do this kind of loving of one another? If you were here last week, we've got these love bingo cards. Uh, I think there's one up on the slide. Uh, These are over in the Home Point Resource Center. Grab one of these. They're nuts and bolts practical ways that you can get a bingo and along the way of winning a child's game, actually do the work of dwelling with Christ by obeying his commands and loving each other. But what's in it for me? In addition to abiding with Christ, when we abide in Christ, we enjoy his rest and peace. Our hearts are cultivated for growth. We produce good and lasting fruit. He blesses us richly. We pursue labor and reject the the promise of Eden. God invites us into abiding and dwelling with him the way we were always created to do if we will only put in the time to abide in Christ's presence. If you need to respond this morning to the invitation to become a Christian, to be baptized and make Jesus King of kings and Lord of lords, not just of the world, but of your life, if you need to do that this morning, come forward as we stand and sing.